All right. Well, we trust that that is truth to you. And we trust that as you heard Brooke and our worship team lead us, that we would really make our lives that demonstration of how much we love God. Because I'll tell you what, if you grew up in the church, we're really good at raising our hands and telling God when we're in church how much we love Him. It's a whole different world when we walk out the door. Casting Crowns, it's old now, but it's one of those songs that I still love listening to. And the song is Life Song. May my life song sing for you. And my prayer has been, God, may my life, because you don't want me singing. She didn't even let me sing in the shower. I, you don't want, but God, would my so sing for you that it would represent what I claim to love you? The challenge is probably nothing new for many of you. You know, we prepare and we think about this and try to communicate effectively. But you've heard great communicators. And so the message may be old, it may be new for some of you, but the truth is, what have we done with it? What have we done with what we've heard all of our lives? For some of us, maybe it's relatively new because we've entered in this relationship. And so it is new. We trust, though, that it will be words that you will hear and that you will receive and that you will begin to live out. We get to take some time this afternoon and read some of the hashtags. Hashtag IW Summit. Some of the tweets. Thank you. Continue to do that if you would. Some of you have written some great things, made some comments on there about that, what God's doing in you, or some of those other things. So we appreciate that. But remember, there's some questions and all those that are being sent out for you to follow up with that. But we just wanted to thank you. and It was a privilege to read some of those today. We're going to continue on with stories and continue to ask the question, what will yours be? We're going to do it in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis, basically in chapter 3. Story of Adam and Eve, and you're going, wow, that's really back to the beginning, back to the basics, yeah. But as we look at this story, we want you to understand that we talk about God's love, and we do, and we have, but, but more than that, how God cares for us. God wants a relationship with us, and God will go to no limits to pursue us. He doesn't put limitations on chasing after us because he wants a relationship with us. He wants conversation with us. He wants to spend time with us. But let's start because God did begin. And, and let me just make this statement. God didn't create community. He is community. You see, perfect community happens in the Trinity. God didn't even need us. God had community and is community. Now, he allowed us to experience community because he is community when he created us. But it wasn't something like he came up with a creation to create, a, a creation to have community. He is community. In perfect community. So he really didn't need this 
relationship with us humans and yet he chose to create us even after he had created everything else on this earth right you know the story in the beginning and it says God created God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit in perfect community chose to create and what happened after each day God said and saw that it was good each day he would do something else and at the end of that day he would say it is good he would see that it was good well after he created everything he decided to create humans and so we understand he created Adam what is amazing is he created Adam to have community to spend time with Adam and God cares so much for us that not only did he he wasn't selfish in hanging on to Adam for himself and say hey son Holy Spirit we've got it but let's add this human element and that's kind of cool but he's there on earth but we want it so that we can connect and we create him in our image and God had community and connection and conversation with Adam but God wasn't selfish in that and he said you know what I want them to him to experience I want humans to experience community and so what happened he didn't stop with Adam with man it says that he looked around and I got to tell you I think scriptures kind of funny sometimes you can read it I'm just paraphrasing it but if you don't believe me I'm telling you the truth but you can read it later for yourself but it, basically he said he paraded all the animals in front of Adam to try and found, find a helper a suitable helper I don't know about you guys but if I'm Adam I'm going are you kidding me I'm really glad Adam and God didn't choose the yak. <laughs> There's a lot of other animals that we could name right now, right? I mean, think about it. Now, he paraded them. I, I, it amazes me. God knows all. What, why did he? What, what's going on here? Oh, you don't like the lion. Okay. You don't like the bear. You don't like the water buffalo. All right. <laughs> no suitable helper was found. And scripture says this. Scripture says God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. I heard somebody say they think he just put him in a recliner and gave him a remote. That's right. I, I am convinced that he put on the golf channel though mm -hmm. first. And Adam was in a deep sleep. And it says that he created Eve from the rib or the side of Adam. Now, what did God do each day after every day he saw that was good? Basically, he said, that's good. That's good. We don't see that in Scripture, but I am convinced that God may not have said it, but when Adam woke up, he went, that's really good. Because they now had community, one with another, as well as with the Trinity. God cared enough for humans to create community and relationship one with another. We do a lot of marriage things. And just a side note, 
couple of things that I think are really cool in this. Matthew Henry is credited with the one where he said, do you notice God created Eve from the side of Adam? He didn't take him, take her or anything from his head so that she could lord it over him. And he didn't create her from his feet so that he could step on her. He created Eve from his side to be his equal and to share life together. That's just a cool thought for us. That God would care enough to think about us. That he didn't keep Adam for himself, but he wanted to share humans to have that relationship. And as they had community together, and they had community with God, we realized that although God is community, he still, in a sense, allowed community to happen and for them to enjoy one another. And I am thankful that we have community and we have relationship and we get to experience that one with each other. But then all the other human relationships, the other thing I think is really cool is marriage. One man and one woman is the only human relationship God created. He allowed us to be a part of it. Aunts, uncles, cousins, kids, grandparents, all that because we got a hand in that. But he allowed and created this human relationship. It's a covenant relationship, and it is powerful when we look at that. But anyway, I want you to know that God created you for relationship with Him. And we talk about God's love and His, but we want to show how much God loves us because He cares for us. He wants community with us, and He wants to spend time with us. He wants a relationship with you. You say, I've heard it, but okay, you've heard it. What do you do with it? What's your story? How is God writing his story in your life? How is your life going to be lived out for glory and honor to God? Are you going to love him back? Are you going to choose to have that relationship? What is it for you? God loves you and cares for you. And scripture tells us how much he cares for each one of us. And he loves us. And he wants you and I in a relationship with him because God cares and God wants that connection conversation relationship with you and me in Genesis 3 8 it says that God would come in the cool of the evening and just spend time with Adam and Eve can you just picture that sun's going down Nice breeze blows in, and here you have this gorgeous, the most beautiful garden you can imagine. One of my favorite places in the world is Emerald uh, Bay in Tahoe, in Lake Tahoe. And I can just see, I can't even imagine something more beautiful, but it was. It was magnificent. And the three of them walking together in the garden. It's really kind of hard to imagine, because what does God look like? I'm not sure. But the three of them were walking together, having conversation. Maybe he was teaching them horticulture or biology or math or something at the time. I don't know, but they were just talking and sharing with one another. They haven't fallen yet. Sin hasn't happened. <laughs> math? Okay. No. I, I joke. Thank you. But they were just enjoying time with each other. That's just a beautiful picture. Um, the thing is, 
He wants the same with you. Mm -hmm. He wants relationship with you. Now, I know that's kind of difficult to imagine, this relationship with um, an invisible God. That's kind of just a hard one to grasp because our hangout society is, you know, go to Macon, get some sweet caffeinated beverage, and sit with a group of people sharing stories and laughing. We actually have bodies to look into each other's eyes and hear each other talk. That's the kind of hanging out we're used to, and that's what we relate with. But there's a way to also have that kind of relationship with the Almighty God. Now, it may seem like we have an inaudible, invisible deity. Mm -hmm. And by inaudible, I mean we can't hear him with these actual ears on our head. We can't see him sitting in front of us. But we do have his word, which is his love letter to us. He's speaking directly to us in the scriptures. We have his word. We have his spirit speaking to our hearts. And if we'll only take the time to listen with a different set of ears, the ears of our heart, mm. we'll hear him speaking to us. One of my favorite questions to ask pretty much anybody I have an opportunity to ask <laughs> is, what's God teaching you? I love that question because it, God is always bringing us through something. What's God teaching you? Now, the tricky part of this question is that to be able to answer it, you have to have spent, have spent some time with God. You have to have spent some time in the Word, in conversation with other people about God even, but in prayer, in reflection, taking time to really make some space for God. And I know that's really difficult to do. It's, it's hard. We have a very noisy society, first of all. You're very busy people. I know that. You've got a lot going on. But maybe if you stop and think, every one of us has a wise person that we like to listen to. Right? Hmm. Stop, stop and think. There's somebody, grandma, one of your professors, there's somebody who, when they speak, you're waiting for what nugget is going to come out that I can mm. hang on to. I know something's coming. My stepmother's that way. When she and I talk, there's almost every time, there's just some precious nugget I'm going away going, man, that's great. Man, that's so wise. And if I can take the time and enjoy and can grasp some wisdom from a fellow human being, then why wouldn't I take the time to spend with the almighty creator of the universe who loves me more than I love myself? That's the greatest wisdom. When my children, we have our last child in college here, and so we've had kids at, here at this university for nine years. Wow, you're really old. Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> We're grandparents, so uh, I tell people when we do conferences, yeah, it may be hard to believe. She doesn't look it. I just don't act it. It, it so works true. right that way. So Sorry. True. I digress. Yes, yeah, so digress. do I. 
So sometimes they would call home during the semester and they'd be freaking out. I mean, just totally freaking out. And I'd let them rant for a little while. And then my first question would be, how's your time alone with the Lord? When was the last time you got alone in the word? When was the last time you had prayer? Sat under a tree and just listened to the wind. And listened to his still, small voice speaking into your heart. Because that's where the true wisdom comes. That's where our lives become not so much balanced, but prioritized. Mm -hmm. Things come into perspective. We can see so much clearly. And we see with the eyes that God gives us through his spirit. But it takes time. It takes time. It doesn't have to start out big. It doesn't have to start out big. And it's hard. I know it's hard. It takes some discipline. There are tools to help. There, I, I loved, I listened to John Drury. I don't know if he's here tonight. But I listened to John Drury's YouTube on prayer. Blew my mind. Because he said that, in, he talked about in the relationship of the Trinity, the Father, his place in prayer, Jesus' place in prayer, and the Holy Spirit's place in prayer. And when he talked about Jesus, he said he sits at the right hand of God. And, when we, and he is always interceding for us. And here's the part that blew my mind. When I go to prayer, I'm just entering into a conversation that's already happening between the Father and the Son. I'm just joining him. And then when I say amen and walk away, they keep going. That revolutionized how I thought about prayer. I'm just coming into the conversation, Father and Jesus. I'm here. I'm just letting you hear my heart. Prioritizing. Making sure you're having that sweet time of walking in the garden with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit. Community. It really is a beautiful thing when we think about how much God cares for us and, and loves us. And we want to talk about care here in, in just a di little different way. Maybe the practical way of how God demonstrates his love for us. But it really is a genuine care. Gerilyn talked about that. In fact, I think you said, you know, I watched John Drury and it's nothing necessarily new. Mm -hmm. But he says it in a way that nobody can understand it. No, I, I mean, um, <laughs> he's sharp. He, he's smart. He says it in such a, a unique way that it really challenged, like you said, yeah. it revolutionized the way you did that, uh, experience that. It's powerful. When you begin to understand that conversation, that community. Well, God cares for us. In fact, Gerilyn talked about 3.8 in the cool evening where he came and kind of hung out with them. Then verse 9, something happens. And he, when he comes and he talks to them, verse 9 says, But the Lord God called to the man, and he said, Where are you? You thought about that for a minute? God, who knows all. Where did they go? I lost How did I lose them? No. He didn't lose Adam and Eve. He was in relationship with them. Something had happened. It was called sin. And so there was that separation. And that had caused a broken relationship. 
And God knew something was up. And when he did that, when he asked, it was as if he said, I need you to tell me what happened. I need you to confess. I care enough about you, I need you to tell me. I don't not have to look for you. I'm not going, I can't find them. Where did they hide? At all. He's saying, where are you in the sense of what happened? I care for you. So before a relationship can be restored, I need to understand what happened. They confess what had happened. Community with the Trinity is such a sweet thing. I'm going to reference Thomas Ashford in Mansions of the Heart. If you've never read that, and I'm not very mystical in a lot of ways. I tend to be a lot more practical in that. But that has really used the word revolutionize, really challenged my prayer, my intimacy with God, my, my walk with Him, and, and it's been powerful. And it's, Thomas Ashford refers to Teresa of Avila. Fourteen hundreds, and where she talks about those different mansions or those different chambers of walking with God from the beginning, the first chamber of entering a relationship, all the way to the the seventh, and it's all about community with the Trinity. And like Gerald said, when we enter in prayer, we get to enter in a conversation, we get to enter in a community with God. But God starts with, "Hey, where did you go? What did you do? What happened?" When He asks that, and when He begins to talk to them about that you've got a slide up there let me read that quote from Tozer I really love this there is a divine voice that continues to call it is the voice of the creator God and it is entreating them in other words drawing them he cared enough for them here's a truth I want you to hear and I don't know if this is for you or if it's just for me but it's just really been enlightening to me for what God has said God cared for Adam and Eve as much after they sinned as he did before they sinned that really is a definition for me of unconditional love God cared for Adam and Eve as much after they sinned as he did before they sinned. It wasn't like, oh, you broke the relationship? Fine, I'm done with you. Not at all. He said, where are you? What happened? What went on here? And then he immediately began to talk about that relationship. He continues to call after. He continues to pursue. He wants that company. He wants that relationship. He wants it restored. But he begins... Or he continues to call out, as Tozer says. God cares for you, no matter what you've done. No matter the struggles you have. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. We still struggle with those things. There's challenge. Because he cares for you and for me. He loves us. And he wants that relationship, as we've said, all over and over again. He cares for you. After Adam and Eve confessed what they had done, then this is where God starts providing for the the reuniting of the relationship. You see, they broke relationship with him at that moment. 
Now what? Well, he makes provision for the relationship to be restored. Yeah. It says in uh, Genesis 3.21, the Lord made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Well, to make garments of skin, an animal had to die. And blood was spilled. That blood paid the price for the sin they had committed. Somebody had to pay. I always think of the, that scene in National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. It's towards the end, and they're sitting on the altar steps, he and the FBI agent. And the FBI agent says, somebody's got to pay, Ben. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to go to jail. Because something had been done wrong. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened here. Something had been done wrong, and somebody's got to go to jail. And in this case, an animal had to die, and the blood had to be spilled to cover their sins, to pay the price for their sin. And then he took the skins, and he made a covering for them. Because they were aware of their sin and their nakedness, they were ashamed because of their sin. And he covered them up to take away their shame. His covering is the righteousness we see in Jesus Christ. Because this whole act right here of killing the animal and making the skins to cover him is just a foreshadowing of Jesus hanging on the cross and his blood being spilled for our sins and his righteousness covering us up to take away our shame. Isn't it beautiful how we have, we're only in chapter 3 of this book. I'm only in chapter 3. We've already messed it up. We've already messed up the whole story. But he spends the entire time restoring that relationship with us all the rest of the way through the word. That's his goal, is to continually pursue us because he cares so very much for us that he's going to provide and provide and provide again until we get it through our heads that he's the only way. He's the one that we need to be in relationship with, in right relationship. Sometimes it's the simple that's the most profound. I'm a simple kind of guy. And yet when we begin to think of this, what a profound thought. That God cared enough for Adam and Eve, and then he cares enough for you and me to do what he did. And to continue to do what he's done. This is an old story. Probably many of the pastors have used it over the years in communicators, but it just seems to fit right here. One I used years ago, but the great theologian Karl Barth, when he was speaking and traveling, had just given a wonderful presentation. And the people then, there was no technology, there was no iPads, there was no any technology for writing except pen and paper and somebody said what's the most profound thought you've ever had everybody scooted to the edge of their seat got ready to write ready to listen as Carl Barth stood there he simply said Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so
Really? That's all you got? Henrietta Mears says, if all you have is God, then you have more than enough. God cares. I, I, I guess maybe it's the parenting grandparent in us to, to care for you as college students. Say, I, 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 I hope you grasp this. I know you got it here, but do you have it here? Do you, do you understand it? Do you resonate with it? Do you internalize it? Do you really receive it? Or do you say, yeah, I know it. I heard it. I got it. God loves. God cares. No. Begin to process that. To understand how much he cares for you. He, he made the provision and yet he had the promise of someday of Jesus coming for us. And we experienced that provision as Geraldine talked about through Jesus Christ. And we have that relationship because God cares. If he didn't care, he would have stopped. If he really was a God who said, I've created you, now hands off. It wouldn't have made a difference. And yet he doesn't. He loves us and he cares for us. And he demonstrates that love. You know, one of the other things that shows God cares is he kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden. You're like, what? Yeah. Because God is God. And God is perfect. He demonstrated what I believe is grace by kicking them out of the garden. Because there was a consequence. He could not allow them to do whatever they wanted to do and get away with it. So the Lord banished them or him from the garden to work the ground from which he had been taken. You know the story. He banished them from the garden. I believe some of the most grace-filled things God ever does is discipline us. God cared enough to say it was wrong and I can't tolerate that. I love you, I care for you, but there needs to be something taken care of, and he provided Christ for that. As parents, we believe that. We've talked a lot about uh, parenting to people, and we've been able to share that. And I believe as parents, the most grace-filled thing we oftentimes did was discipline our children in love. They couldn't get away with murder. They couldn't do it and just say, oh, we love you, so you're going to do whatever you want. No, a loving God says you can't. I care for you. And one of the most grace-filled things he did was send that curse to earth so that we could have a possibility and a hope of a relationship. Adam and Eve, through the animal and through God separating, allowing the provision to come. And God creating, or providing, excuse me, Jesus Christ for us. As that one who is. God kicked him out of the garden. I love that his grace is so strong. That he says, I love you. But I can't let you get away with that. I care too much for you. And for us to have a right relationship. To have true community. I have to care for you to discipline you. I love that he provided the sacrifice in Jesus Christ. For us, if we receive that, rather than banishing us forever. God cares. God cares for each and every one of us. I don't know what you're feeling like. I don't know what you're thinking in 
a night like tonight when you look at Adam and Eve, maybe in a little bit different way of the story, but I want you to grasp this idea that sometimes we put conditions and we even put conditions on what we think God does and God loves and God cares. I referred to Mansions of the Heart And in the book, Mansions of the Heart, it, it processes, as we talked about, the different chambers of the different mansions, and it talks about our walk with God. But it follows along the story of one woman and one man throughout the book. And Michael is the man, and he had been a personal trainer. He was not a follower of Jesus Christ. He was doing the hooking up the, the dating scene and the party scene and all that other stuff. He was rather good looking and Athletic, and like I said, he was a personal trainer, so he pretty much got whatever he wanted and did that. God grabbed a hold of his heart, and he entered a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you've read the book, you know the story, but Michael walks through that journey, and you see the ups and downs of, of his life. And Michael, who had struggled with pornography and serious drinking problems and been in rehab and gone through all that, as he grew in his relationship with Christ, came to a decision and felt like God had called him as he had been serving into ministry, and he went into ministry. But that relationship still was up and down, he felt like. He would grow, and he'd have wonderful times with God, and and he thought it was awesome. In fact, there's one point where he just really blows it. And he says, how could a loving God allow this to happen? And he begins to fight with God and argue with God, like, how in the world could you allow me to sin? And he begins this process and this journey, and over the years he continues to desire God, but he's now serving God in full-time ministry. The church he's at is doing well, and it's thriving in the Midwest. As he's going along in the journey, though, something is missing again in his relationship. There's a dryness. There's a duty. In fact, The work of the ministry has taken over the relationship. And he's wondering what kind of relationship he even has with God. Oh yeah, I know I love God. I think God loves me. God demonstrated by caring for him at different times. And Michael will admit that. But this was a season that was not good at all. In fact, he hadn't been tempted. He hadn't struggled for 15 years. The church was going well. But now, pornography... The temptation of drinking was so strong, he knew he was in trouble. And he talked to a pastor friend, and pastor friend said, you know, I just find I just need to spend some time with God. And Michael knew right then some of his prayer times with his wife had been so rich, felt convicted, and so he got away. One of those retreat houses and spent some time. He was really angry. He was mad. He was upset. He didn't know what God was going to do in and through him. But he got away. He slept for most of the time. And yet towards the end of his time on this retreat away from God, he put away everything, including his Bible. Although he had read his Bible, he was wanting God to speak. He was desiring that. He finally put it away. And the story goes that he let an inner conversation with Jesus emerge. What seemed like random thoughts would somehow find a pattern. And Michael realized 
the Lord might be leading him, might be helping him. But it says here, there were tears and sobs, words of anger and doubt. And finally, when Michael was exhausted, he just sat in silence. In the quiet of the evening of that retreat chapel, he felt God's closeness. And these words from Jesus came to his mind. Why don't you just let me love you, care for you, and then follow me? Follow me? Follow Jesus? I've been following Jesus. I've been living for Jesus. I've been doing for Jesus. And those words haunted him as he left that retreat and he wondered what was going on and the struggle that was happening. What else had he been doing all these years? He thought he'd been following Jesus. In fact, it says maybe he'd been following a vision or an ideal. Maybe it was approval or success that had been driving him more than the love and the care of Jesus. All he knew now was that it was Jesus he wanted to follow and not just Jesus' principles, but Jesus himself. As he got away again, A month or so later, he went back to that retreat center with a different attitude. And as he began to let God speak to him, he noticed a little plaque on the wall of the retreat house. And this is what it said. As they struck him profoundly. And you will know these words. And they simply said in sentence form, be still and know that I am God. The next line, be still and know. The next line, be still. The final line, be. God cared enough for Michael. Didn't matter how many wonderful things he was doing for him, for him in ministry. It didn't matter anything about Michael. God cared for Michael. And he wanted Michael to chase after him as he continued to pursue Michael in that relationship. You see, God cares for you. He wants your company. He wants that relationship. He wants that community that we all long for. God cares enough for us that he calls us friend. He calls us his very own. And we trust that you will listen to the words of God and that he will speak to your heart and your life. And you will begin to say, God, I know I loved you or at least something about you. I love Jesus. I don't want to go to hell. I want forgiveness of sin. I've done all that. But are you in that relationship with him? Because God has called you his very own. We are his sons and daughters. We are his and we ought to understand that relationship. And if anything out of that, we ought to celebrate what God has done. God created you. God cares for you. God calls you his. Do you believe it? Father, help us. To believe that truth. As simple as it is to say. 
to think. It's such a powerful, profound thought. In Christ's name we pray, we receive it. Amen and amen. Go in the love of Christ.